welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on luthiers and insurance. Tweaking guitars has always been interesting to me. Changing strings, doing setups, tightening loose parts, and changing pickups and pots. Now, there are some things that I don't like doing, like fretwork, headstock repair, or finished touch-ups. On top of that, there is the fear of damaging the guitar worse than it already was. But does my insurance cover stupidity? Should I do my own guitar work? When do I take it to a professional? Should I pot my own pickups? Who is a luthier? And did Lloyd really destroy his Les Paul by adjusting the truss rod? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Lloyd on the Tweed Couch. All right, Lloyd, it is great to have you here on the couch to talk about something that is probably a little closer to you than me in the uh, therapy session, but I think we should talk about luthiers and insurance. So thanks for being here on the couch. Hello, Dr. T. Happy to be here as always. It's good to have you. So I think it is important that we define something before we really get rolling with this. And that is, what is a luthier? So to you, what is a luthier? I would actually like to know where they got that name. Because I I was wondering, I was like, why not just say, I'm a man that makes guitars? Or works on guitars or fixes guitars. Yeah, uh, a guitar smith. Even better. I yeah. I don't know. I yeah. um. So yeah, that's what that's what a luthier is to me. But do you happen to know where they got the name? Should have looked it up. I'm pretty sure that it is French and it's for the lute. And a lute is essentially a stringed instrument. Uh huh. Pretty sure that's correct. All right. Uh, Are you gonna Google it? Yeah, I was gonna. Let me see here. Luthier. Lutheran, Luthier. Lutheran, that's us. Yep. Let's see. Okay, Luthier, looking it up. It says, a maker of stringed instruments such as violins or guitars. So I'd like to know the origin, though, of that is really what I'm really curious about. You know, Luthier definition. Okay, origin. Let's see. A craftsperson who... Built to repair stringed instruments that have a neck and a sound box. It originally is French, you were correct, and comes from the okay. French word for lute. So you're all right there. I still don't know. I guess that's that's the origin, I guess. Somebody originally worked on early French instruments, more like lutes. Yeah. So if that's the definition that we're going with, that it's basically someone who works on stringed instruments, I would like to add one word that might completely change whether someone is truly a luthier. And that word is competent. (laughs) So not just someone who works on stringed instruments, but someone competent at working on stringed instruments. Yes. So is that something you would like to have them add? So like when you get their business card, if it just says luthier, you're like, "Uh aha, I uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I need I need that you need to be it'd be the equivalent of being a certified luthier, but you want the word competent. Yes, yeah. And I think that that's important. So mm-hmm. actually, you know, great example is Fender. 
So Fender has like authorized luthiers. They have authorized Fender service technicians. Yeah. Taylor authorized service technicians. Yeah. But interestingly enough, PRS, they do not have authorized service technicians. Instead, you have to send it back to their factory in order for them to do any servicing. Hmm. Because they've got all the certified technicians under lock and chain in their in their yeah, shop. Yeah, that's right. They don't let them out. Yeah, I'm sure they're chained. Mm-hmm. I can imagine it right now. All their sweatshops in Maryland. Mm-hmm. We don't know this not to be true. Speaking of which, Maryland, not part of the greater percentage of people who listen to this podcast, so <laughs> I offended no one. <laughs> but Wyoming is still under them. But whatever. We'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> Love Wyoming. I think there's more people in Australia and England than there are in Maryland actually listening to this. So I think we're safe. I'm not worried. It's your show. Yeah. It's our therapy. I'm going to say whatever I want. Yeah, you will. And you'll just edit edit me out. Appropriately. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) All right. So now that we have this idea of what is a luthier, I would actually say that you and I could be defined as a luthier because we've worked on our string instruments. Sure. Just not a competent one. Well, it depends on the competency. So this Mm -hmm. probably brings us to what we should get into about luthierism, being a luthierist. Either works. I'll stick with Lutheran. Okay. (laughs) So I know that I can change strings. Can you change strings? Sure. So you say sure, but I also know that you have a guitar that is very difficult to change strings on. Yeah, well, that one gets changed about once every three years. <laughs> yeah, so tell us about this guitar and why it's so hard to change the strings. It's just an awful design, Fender. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, my, it's a 92, I believe, 92. It's early 90s. Fender Stratocaster, and they had this wonderful idea. It had like the, uh, I don't know if they're still putting Floyd Roses on Fenders or not, because this was an actual Floyd Rose patent on my Strat, but it doesn't look like the Floyd Rose that we think of. Yeah, it doesn't have all of the fine tuning things. No, it doesn't, but it's a Floyd Rose. And so one of the ideas they had to keep it in tune is that they, instead of putting the ball of, uh, the put the string through the back of the guitar over top of the saddle and, and the ball, yep, the goes brass through ball, the block and across, yeah, yeah. hooking into the notch and we're all good. Like most guitars, most of the strats and tellies are what they did on this one is they're like, let's get rid of that. Cause that's going to hurt the ability of the guitar to stay in tune with all that movement of like using the depressing, the whammy bar, that sort of thing. So you actually cut the end of the string off, cut that ball, get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And then it's got a locking mechanism that with an Allen wrench, it's just, it's just two pieces of iron that you put the string into that notch and you turn the Allen wrench and clamp it down on, on both sides of that string. And that's what holds it in place. It just, it's just a, a clamp like that, yeah, which makes it incredibly difficult to change strings in a hurry. Oh, yeah. So we were out in Las Vegas at this ELCA Youth Workers Convention, and we are up on stage, and I busted a string on that Strat, and the band Lost and Found, they were there playing with us. So George, 
piano player for Lost and Found, he was gracious enough to grab my guitar because we were still in the middle of a song, but I had no backup because yeah. we just flew out to this thing. And nobody else oh, had an electric guitar. We just had the acoustics and that one electric. And so he was going to be nice enough to change the string for me. And I knew right away, I'm in the middle of the song, I was like, there's no way he's going to figure this thing out. <laughs> Yeah. And, so, the, and no. so I'm like looking uh -uh. over to the side of him and he and he and Michael now are both, you know, got their surgical masks on and they're trying to figure this whole thing yep. out. And they are totally at a loss going, what, what are we supposed to do with this? And that's right. They are not trained luthiers. They were not competent. They were not competent. At working on this stringed instrument. No. And few people <laughs> are trained. Apparently, uh. Fender has not trained them properly to uh, change strings on that guitar. Yeah. It's not a design that stuck around. I don't think they do it anymore. Yeah, for sure. So when I was your guitar tech, I remember that you had the Wolfgang and you had the Strat. Yes. And you sat me down in your house and said, we're going to change strings and I'm going to show you how to do this. Yeah. And I remember at that moment going, but if you just pull the string through the block and go over and then wrap it around the post it's done and you're like this is the design uh -huh. and i'm like yeah that's yeah it's not it's rough it's not, and it's not a i good ruined many a string many a string for you yeah yeah well and and also the the low e sometimes you you feel like you got to clamp down tight enough the minute you tune it up the tension of the string pulls it right out so yep. then you clamp it down even harder and then you strip out the allen wrench hole in the uh the bolt, I should say, or the head of the bolt, the way the Allen wrench sticks in there, and you, and you strip it out, yeah. and then you have to uh, go order one of those replacements, you know, or you strip out mm -hmm. the Allen wrench, and I've done both. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good sounding guitar. I'm not really uh, making a case for the resale value of it, though, am I? No, mm -hmm. no. I would say you probably need to put another trim block in there, just a whole new tremolo system. Yeah. But It's a great sounding guitar. Yeah, it's fine. Yep. There's a reason why they only made it for a few years. Yeah. yeah. So I would say that stringed instruments, we can we can change strings. Okay, we can do that. What about setting up the guitar? Getting the action, adjusting the truss rod, maybe like dealing with the bridge itself. Is that something you feel like you can do yourself? Yeah, and, and that's really come out of necessity. And being cheap or having no money. And, and, you know, you and I have similar background. We're just kind of, we're willing to dig in and try stuff like that. You're not afraid to yeah. tackle stuff like that and go, it doesn't matter if we don't know it. You know, what's the worst could happen? You like break your truss rod, you know, what's the worst? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, would, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. No, that would never happen. No. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about that one later. <laughs> so I'm not ready. I'm still not over the pain. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. No, uh, that's fair. So, so yeah, and actually that was kind of fun. And so, you know, that's... I was never taught how to do it, though. You know, it was all trial and error. And I don't know if it was the same with you. It was all just like, okay. Because yeah. up until, you know, even like 10 years ago, we've talked about my friend and relative Pat Baker, who is yeah. who uh, works for Dean's Guitars down in Florida. Now, you and I have talked about this, but actually on the podcast, I don't know that we've ever mentioned that you're related to Pat Baker from Dean's Guitars. Yes. Yes, I am. Through uh, Tanya's cousin's husband. Okay, so your wife's cousin's husband. Yes. Got it. 
not only is he a fantastic guitar player, but he also knows a heck of a lot about setting up guitars. And he does set up a lot of guitars oh, for yeah. some of the late 80s rock guys that you know are still playing like the bands like tesla stuff like that he still he still sets up a lot of their guitars you know they'll bring them down to him because like he's their guy he's their luthier for that and so yeah it's been a blast we get together every uh, once a year around thanksgiving or christmas we get together and it's always a blast watching him play and also uh um just i've learned a lot of things from him on how to solder properly because we've changed yeah. some pickups out before, and so I, I feel more comfortable doing that. Because sometimes it's just hard on the back of the the pots to get a big blob of solder so that the copper ground wire attaches to that pot to get it hot enough. You know, and he showed me the trick of putting solder on the tip of the soldering iron first. So there's a little mm-hmm. blob there, and then when you touch it down to the metal, it just it heats up right away. It just it's yeah, it's it just amazing. melts right into. Yeah, and it. I never knew that. And so a lot of the stuff I've just had to pick up like that. In fact, since we're on Pat Baker, one of the uh, classics for me, one of my favorite life memories of hanging out with him was one Christmas we're hanging out here. And I had a, uh, my Les Paul classic. I had just gotten it. So it was like 10 years ago. And I, I, I don't play with a, a lot of gain, I guess, compared to some. And he doesn't play with a ton of gain either, but... For whatever reason, the guitar was squealing in his hands here at my house. Yeah. And I was like, man, it never feeds back like that for me. And so he takes his pick and he taps on the neck pickup and it's like thud, 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 thud. And then he taps on the bridge pickup and it goes ting, 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 ting. And he goes, yeah, yeah. Th- this, this, <laughs> this uh, pickup isn't potted, which means... It hasn't been dipped in wax that they do to keep pickups from being microphonic like that. And yeah. uh, so like heavy metal guys and that, they would never use pickups that aren't potted or, you know, or active pickups or something like that. No. And actually, I like I like unpotted pickups, but I also don't play with a ton of gain. And whenever I do play with quite a bit of gain, it's hard to actually keep any kind of squeal from happening. Yeah. And I can only imagine that people who have more of that like heavier, tighter sound, it would actually be less tight because of the unpotted pickups. Yeah. And so like my my Seth Lover pickup that I now have in my Kramer, it's unpotted too. Um, I have no problems with it because I'm like you. I don't use that much gain that it's an issue. But but anyway, so he's like, yeah, this isn't uh, this this uh, pickup's unpotted. And I'm like. I'm like, oh, what should I do about it? And he's like, well, if we were back at the shop, you know, we have a a dipping station where we, because they make their own pickups too. He's actually in charge of that department now in um, at at Dean's Guitars. Well, and he actually has his own signature. He does pickup for Dean Guitars. Yep. Yeah. The Pat Baker. You, You guys should look it up. Okay, so listeners, this is here's your homework. This is your therapy you get to take home. Go to Dean Guitars, look up Pat Baker and his pickup. It's it's pretty cool. So then he goes, he goes, you got a candle around here? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I love where this is going. Yes, I do. And so we go uh, scour through the cabinets and uh, find a big old white candle. And we grab a uh, uh, just a metal pie tin and we melt that candle on the stove and then while it's melting down, we're, we're pulling the, uh, the, the pickup out here, here on the countertop. I wish I had video of it. 
at the time, I didn't even, you know, yeah. it was different. It was 10 years ago. And, and it was just an awesome thing. And he's putting tape over top of the, the screws because it's a PAF-style mm-hmm. metal-covered pickup so that the wax yeah. doesn't come out around the screws. He's covered all that. And then we just dip that pickup into the wax and all the bubbles you know, coming out, letting all the air bubbles out until he knew it was full. Oh, yeah. I know. The air escaping and I'm like, this from is the, the most rock and roll yeah. thing ever. This is the greatest thing. What's what's happening right here is fantastic. <laughs> I just love it. So anyway, so now I know how to uh, wax pot pickups if I, uh, if I need to. But uh, So as a reminder, how long did you have that guitar before... You actually did this. Wax I think potting. only probably about a year. wasn't very long. Okay, but the guitar is a nineteen ninety three. Ninety three. Yes. So we're talking about something that was ten, fifteen, yeah, years old. Seventeen when you got it. So there is sweat in there. There's grime in there. It's had time to experience life, and now you have waxed all of that life in there. There's DNA mm, stuck in that pickup. Absolutely. Boy, wonder whose DNA's in there. I wonder if that pickup sounds better now. Better? I, I, have, not, I have no idea. Nothing to compare it to. I didn't hear the 93 version. Yeah. So you are willing to wax your own pots. Yes. I am not at that point. I will set up my guitars, but I will not wax my own pots. I'm not saying that it's hard. Actually, Dylan talks tone. That's a YouTube channel. He shows how he does it with a crock pot. Oh, okay. And that seems kind of interesting. So I might be willing to try it, but I'm not going to try it with like my custom buckers. Yeah. That's an expensive set of pickups that are unpotted. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But I might do it with like a guitar fetish. Yeah. Like a GFS pickup or something like that. Well, you know, what I what I was thinking about was just, you know, I think you and I are both in the same boat that it was a lot of just trial and error. Yeah. And YouTube has really opened up a lot, you know, now. Yes. Where I've learned so much where uh guess what started me on the Pat Baker thing initially was because of the Fender Stratocaster. I think I told you this at the time that you know, I I set that guitar up by myself and I played it for years and I was always like, you know, I can never get the action quite as low as I would like it without it buzzing all over yeah. the place. Well, and one of the first times I met Pat, I was going to be going out on a Christmas tour with Peter, but he asked if he could borrow a, a guitar just to practice on. And so I was like, oh, absolutely. And so uh, I gave him the Strat, and then I went to Minnesota, and he hung out here for a week, wasn't around. Or, and then uh, when I came mm-hmm. home, I went and picked up the guitar. He was staying with his uh, mother-in-law. And so I picked the guitar up from her and I brought it home and I plugged it in and I was like, wait a minute. The action was so, so nice and low and no buzz. <laughs> and this guitar has never, ever played like, I've been playing this guitar for 15 years at that point. Yeah. And it had never played like this. So he did a setup for me just cause he was playing it going, what's up with th- who set this guitar up? You know, I'm sure that's yeah. what he was thinking. This thing hasn't been set up in 15 years. Yeah, So apparently I wasn't very good, <laughs> even though you know I did it on my own, but YouTube has opened up a whole nother world there. You know, I feel really confident now. Oh yeah. And I, I completely agree. When I started playing guitar, the internet really wasn't a thing yet. I know most of our listeners are around our age and that like, 45 to 55 range but 
I also have some listeners who are in like the 15 to 20 range. And those people have no idea what I'm talking about when I say before the internet. Hmm. You know, I have to use the statement back in the 1900s when we didn't have the internet. Yeah. You know, (laughs) so what's crazy about this is I learned a lot trial and error, how to change pickups, how to do this, how to do that. And then with the internet, I started being able to read and figure it out. And then the glorious thing of YouTube occurred. Yep. And now if I want to do something, I just go on YouTube. Yeah. And actually if I'm bored, sometimes I go on and go, how do you set up a Bigsby? I don't know that I need to right now, but I would love to learn. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a creative uh, help. Actually, it's also been a form of gas because another thing that I'm willing to do as a quote unquote luthier, even though this isn't working on the string to part of the instrument, I'm willing to swap pickups and pots. Yeah. But what pickups and what pots I swap them with is largely geared after what I saw on YouTube and what somebody else was playing and what they did for wiring and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So have you done a lot of pickup and pot swaps? Not a lot. Uh, again, a lot of out of necessity. I even back when I was on uh, the, one of the Youth Encounter bands that you were on, the Captain Free bands years, years ago. Yeah. I had a 1970 Fender Twin amplifier that uh, I didn't have a case for it, which is silly to me now. I never even thought, you know, <laughs> you know, didn't know anything. You know, yeah. it was... 20, 20 years old. I didn't know anything about I should get an anvil case yeah. for this thing. And, you know, riding in the trailer on its wheels, it got beat to heck. And I actually oh, replaced yeah. all four of the tube sockets in that amplifier over uh, over two years because they started to rattle so much. Like during, oh, the, during yeah. the show, you'd hear, you know. And, oh, I'm like, yeah. oh. and I replaced all four of those without electrocuting myself because I didn't know anything about that either. And I'm very thankful I didn't. Oh, geez. But yeah, I mean, We're again, lucky to have you here now, I, Lloyd. Absolutely right. So just out of necessity. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think after I sold that amplifier to Brent Johnson, he took it down to Savage Audio and they pulled that sucker apart to give it a physical. I'm sure they were just like, whoa. <laughs> you yeah. know, who did this I bet you work? this guy sets up a strat terribly too. <laughs> That's right. So, <laughs> yeah, but you know, so I would never touch that kind of stuff again. It was all really, I'm, I'm, no. it's a lot of stuff just out of necessity. Yeah. Setting up a guitar. Yeah, I'm great with that. You know, polishing. Uh, uh, there isn't a lot on an acoustic that I feel like I could do outside of just adjusting the truss rod. Yeah. Um, I had years ago, we were in Chicago and we were sharing the stage with a band called Daniel's Window. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think you remember them. And uh, we were doing at the end of the event, we uh, joined forces. So it was Echelon and Daniel's Window on the stage at the same time. And as your favorite yeah. phrase, we were rocking really hard. And the guitarist yeah. for Daniel's Window, we were standing next to each other in the middle of the song. I don't know if he was whipping around to look at the drummer to cut off whatever, but he whips around really fast and smashes his headstock and my headstock on both of us had Les Pauls, <laughs> smashed them together right at the end of the song. And it cracked the nut on my guitar. And, oh my gosh. And I'm like, that You're is some, 76. Yeah. And that's, yeah, it was on my 76. And I'm like, that's something I'm not gonna even an attempt, you know? No. It was like, there's no way. And like to get, I know you can buy like graphite nuts 
And, sure. you know, and I could, I could, I know it's just glued in there, but getting yep. the strings, you know, cut in just mm-hmm. right. I'm like, I, there's yep. no way I want to mess with that. And so I did find a competent luthier down in St. Louis. Excellent. And the best Excellent. part is he went to a butcher shop and got a piece of a leg bone from a cow and the yeah. bo- and the bone that is on my 76 gold top is an actual bone from a, a bovine from the St. Louis area. And I love oh, that. Oh man, the mm-hmm. vegans hate this, but I love it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not joking. That is so cool. There's nothing more rock and roll than I actually have animal skeleton on my guitar. Bone tone, baby. Bone mm-hmm. tone. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, we could probably talk about all the things that we're able to do and willing to do on our guitars. But I will ask this question. Have you ever worked on pedals before? Uh does changing a battery count? Sure. Okay, then yes. Excellent. You've changed a battery. Good job. <laughs> I, I've even pulled the back plate off and taken a spray and sprayed into a like, pot cleaner. Uh-huh. Wow. Yep, yep. I've nice. done that. Yep. You so. know, those are the little things. Mm-hmm. So that Martin Kretzman doesn't tell you, mm, I'm not sure <laughs> that this is any good. And then you feel like you're seeing the dentist again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I'll tell a quick little story, and that is my brother, Paul. There it is. There's your bingo. Mm. He Mm. actually came to me one time and said, I have this TS9 Keeley modded Tube Screamer, which Keeley doesn't mod anymore. Yeah, I heard that. And it had two dip switches on it. And it was like this baked mod. One was like a mid hump, and another one was like a... A symmetrical boost or I don't yeah. know what it was. But I think I think one side is supposed to be uh, the 808 and the other flip up is supposed to be the TS9, I think. Yeah. Okay. So that was probably, it was that. And then the other one had to do with this like symmetrical versus asymmetrical type thing. I don't know. There were two switches. I remember yeah. that though. And I do remember something about 808 version versus the TS9. So his son Noah was probably about three years old maybe two years old at the time. And Paul said he left him alone for maybe five minutes. Had to go to the bathroom, decided to make some lunch, whatever it was. And when he came back in the room, Noah had ripped those switches out of the pedal, rendering it useless. (laughs) And Paul goes, can you fix this? And I went, I don't know, but... I guess I'll give it a shot. And he gave me that pedal and I looked for that switch, what kind of switch it was tested to see if it was like a DPDT or an SPST or whatever type of switch Hmm. figured it out, went and bought the parts at radio shack, which I'm sure if Keeley's listening to this, he's not, but if (laughs) he was, he's probably like, Oh, he went to radio shack. Golly. Okay. (laughs) And got these parts soldered the thing in and the thing still works today so it's on his board today me. yeah yeah that's now, right you, you have definitely you know you you were kind of my hero you know you're were, you were buying those build your own clone pedals and oh, uh, yeah. putting your own pedals together and i was like oh man and that was right about the time that you and i moved apart from each other because i would have mm-hmm. loved to have done a lot of that with you 
you know, but on my own, I guess I don't really have the interest. Yeah. You know, then you have to also go, well, which one do I get and why do I get it? And do I need it? Because I've got other things and yeah, there's, there's a number of different scenarios to it. You know, the other thing I'd love to have done with you, and maybe we still could someday, I shouldn't close the door totally, but the 12 hour drive between us, you know, (laughs) hinders a little bit, but building a uh, Marshall 100 watt plexi style or 50 watt Marshall, you know, to buy a a kit and to put that sucker together. I, I, I would love that. Oh, that would be super fun. Yeah. They got more interest in that than a pedal. But it's also a lot yeah. more complicated. I'd be interested in doing the 18 watt, but putting in a treble middle bass circuit instead of the tremolo circuit that they put in there. So like okay. a blues breaker style or like, I forget what they called it. It was like the, uh, it wasn't the 1987. It was something else. But but like one of those like little 18 watt ones yeah. that had yeah. two channels. That would be super fun. I'd be, I'd be willing to do that someday. Yeah. Um. Pat Baker, uh, Dean's guitar guy, he has, I haven't been to his house. Someday I uh, I hope to. He's down in the Orlando area. Mm-hmm. And uh, I miss the opportunity. All those times that I was down there and I didn't know him at that point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, now it's like, shoot, I'd love to go back there. And But he uh, he's shown me some pictures. All of his marshals, and he has, uh, he has about eight or nine of them, late 60s, early 70s, mid 70s. They're all that. Oh. And he bought all of them, though, non-working. So bought them for nothing. But oh. he can fix them. You yeah, know? Of course he can. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just I'd love to uh, love to see his wall. Yeah, that would be awesome. He's got some great stuff. He's got some great old Fender tweeds, too. It's like, uh great stuff. So to change things a little bit, but not too much, I do want to ask this question. Is there anything that you look at to fix that you go yeah i'm not touching that that definitely goes to a luthier like for me fret work if i need to change out frets if i need to do anything other than get rid of the nib on the on the end that if it's like poking me like the frets poking me or whatever if it's anything other than that i i'm not touching fret work so is there anything that you have that you're like, that's where I draw the line, other than, of course, the nut. You weren't yeah. going to recut a nut. Is there anything else that you go, no, nah, I'm not touching that? Yeah, no, that, that's exactly where I was going to go. Yeah, if anything really more than just replacing parts on the guitar, I'm fine with mm-hmm. that. You know, mm-hmm. um, strap lock, screw, war, holes worn, throw some toothpicks in there and wood glue and we're good to go. Oh, yeah. or, or replacing better tuners. It, like I said, any of the parts, I'm all good with that. Yeah. But if it comes to anything to do with the fretboard, yeah, no no way. Or, or a, a headstock break or yeah. uh, you know, a neck reset or something like that. I guess if it's a cheap enough guitar and the headstock broke, I'd, I might be willing to try to glue and clamp it together. Okay. But if it's if it's that's anything fair. more anything that's more valuable, like yeah, I'm definitely gonna I'm definitely gonna bring it to somebody to try to do it right. Yeah, there there's definitely a, a line where I'm like, nah, I'm not going to like you had mentioned actually in the last time we had our podcast, because this is our part two of the last one. Um <laughs> and you had mentioned that you know, you had some binding coming off and you were like, yes. you know, I could work up a jig, I could make this happen, but you know what? I got a guy 
that I'm going to kind of see, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let him do it. That's that's smarter. Yeah, especially the binding. Like, I'm just like, I'll I'll get it stuck on there, but will it look like it was factory finish? You know, I'm like, right. I know I won't. Whereas when Martin did it, it looks like it's uh, the day it came out of the factory. A competent luthier. Right. And somehow he also made it sound better plugged in. Somehow. Put his <laughs> Martin pixie dust all over it. But yeah, it's the competency of his luthier skills. That's true. That's very true. All right. Well, we are going to take a break from our sponsors. And when we come back... We're going to talk about insuring guitars and insuring equipment. And I think this is going to be an important story. So people should stick around because we're about to find out how is it that Lloyd broke his own guitar and then got paid for it. Got paid for it. <laughs> and we're going to get Sad that very soon. After a word from our sponsor. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Are you looking for a party with a purpose? If you love music, family-friendly, and camping, then you need to come to LifeFest. In July of 2022, they will have two festivals once again. One at the Sunnyview Fairgrounds in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and the other at the Johnny Cash Hideaway Farm in Bonagua, Tennessee. I'll see you there. Let's hear from another sponsor. Since 2003, the Crestman Guitar Company has been repairing stringed instruments and building custom guitars and basses. In 2021, Kretzman started production of a solid body electric guitar with the goal of providing affordable, awesome looking and sounding guitars that anyone student to expert would be proud to play and own be sure to check them out at kretzmanguitars.com that's k-r-e-t-z m-a-n-n guitars.com all right well lloyd i'm so glad that people have stuck around to be able to hear this because you have something that you would like to talk about which you did to your guitar adjusting the truss rod but spoiler alert there is a happy ending so lloyd why don't you tell the people tell them what you did what did you yeah. do mm-hmm. only because you told me that uh for therapy it's important to open this up to multiple people it's the only mm-hmm. reason i'm sharing mm-hmm. this that you thought it was time that i get it out there because it's such a painful memory that i need to Share it with all. Practice makes progress, uh, not gosh. perfect, Lloyd. Well, the 10-year-old at this time, Les Paul Classic, that's really been my main gigging guitar for about that time because it wasn't worth as much as my uh, standard that I'd been using mm-hmm. for a bunch of years. Still, though, you know, um, I bought it for 1200 bucks. Which, was, 10 years ago, was just below what they were generally going for used. True, but it is a 20-year-old guitar at this point. You just had it for 10 years. That's right. It's still a 93. But I always had a problem with it. And I talked to various people about it. And I don't know if I ever talked to you about it or not. But I talked to Pat and various people. And he actually kind of worked on it with me a few times. Because mm-hmm. every year... 
that now my my uh, jump back my Les Paul standard. It's uh, it's a New Orleans era Les Paul, so it's got that pancake they call it um, mahogany body, which yep. is different pieces of wood that have all been glued together at different different directions yep. it's mahogany but it's all glued together with a maple top on top of it and then the neck is maple as well which is unusual for a les paul with a with a mm-hmm. rosewood fretboard but the back is maple and it's actually in three pieces as well glued together it's not a solid piece of maple but having the grains go the opposite direction and everything it's an incredibly stable guitar and yeah. that was my experience. Well, I got this Les Paul Classic. Now it's got the solid mahogany body with the solid mahogany neck, one piece. And every year, I would have to adjust the truss rod. But the problem was, I always had to adjust it only one direction. I always had to turn. <laughs> I always had to turn the the nut so that it would pull the neck back, lowering the action down again because it would always this tension on the strings was always pulling the neck up and i every year i'd have to adjust this thing but i'm like yeah it never has to be adjusted the other way so i'm losing i'm losing threads on the uh, every time i turn it and and Mm -hmm. so i i'm like something's wrong here but i couldn't and anybody i talked to everybody they're like well maybe the the nut because it's made of brass maybe it's slipping a little bit or you know, worst case scenario, which I think there is some truth to this too, is that maybe the truss rod inside the neck is it slipping a little bit? You know. Oh yeah, and it's moving up as well. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Well, but what what I did know is is that this one, you know, I put a nut driver on the end of it. On a on a normal guitar, you you turn it uh, by hand. It doesn't resist that much. You know, you can no. turn a quarter turn fairly easy. You couldn't do it on this guitar. From day one that I got it, it was really hard to turn that. And so what I ended mm. up needing to do is stick a pliers on the end of the nut on the nut driver and just a quarter turn with the pliers. That's how I adjusted the nut. Oh. That's how I adjusted so the truss rod. That's a lot of thing. torque. That's a lot of torque. You'd never want to put a pliers on a nut driver for your truss rod. No. But that's what I had to do because I wasn't able to I wasn't able to adjust it. And so what I started to do, because Pat suggested this, we we like I said we worked on this guitar together a couple times. I got some washers. And I was yep. I stacked some washers up in there. And so yep. um just I guess it was last October now. I was doing this. Uh, it was my annual, got to adjust the neck. And I thought, yeah. you know, let me, let me put another washer in there. So I now have three washers in that thing. And I was That's tightening it up. I know. And I was tightening it up with the washers. I got to the point where I had to use the pliers a little bit. And it couldn't have been bottomed out. But I think just the tension over the years of doing this, I didn't pull it too much but the end of the truss rod the nut the little stub on the end of there just snapped right off yeah really easy i hardly gave it any torque at all it just snapped right off and i'm like yeah i just severely injured this guitar this guitar yeah. is unplayable in fact i came in and told my uh, wife tanya i told her that's what i this way i wrote it to her i was actually quite calm about it but i'm like it's done this guitar is unplayable so, um, my brother-in-law is also my insurance man and I didn't even think about it, but yeah. I have, I have also, I've been living here for 12 years and when I got insurance for my house, I had asked him specifically about what about my guitars and amps? And he goes, well, your coverage 
will cover them, sure, to a certain point, but you really just have mm-hmm. so much for everything in your house. Right. And there's also a deductible. So if something, if your guitar was stolen or something happened to it, you know, the deductible would, you'd have to pay that first. So he said, what we oh, recommend sure. for things like this and for like cell phones, you know, that's mostly what they do with it, is they do what's a, a scheduled line item that you pay extra for. But the nice thing is it's uh, no deductible. And so oh, okay. for 12 years, and it's not very expensive, it's like maybe a dollar for every $60 worth of, or, or a hundred, I don't remember what it is. Okay. Maybe it's a dollar for every $200 worth of value, whatever it is. Right. Depending um, on where you live, I'm sure. Yeah. And yeah. how much you're insuring. Sure. And so all my instruments that I wanted to, amps and guitars, I scheduled them as an addendum on my insurance. And I pay extra every month for the value that I declare those guitars being. Okay. Now, if it comes to if I ever needed to claim it, they will look and say, well, you overinsured that guitar. It's really not worth that much. We're only paying you what it's actually worth. Okay. The other way, though, if I underinsured it and they go, well, it's really worth more than that, they're only going to pay me for what I was insuring it for, which is what happened to this classic. But so Nate, my insurance guy, and he goes... (laughs) Hold on, hold on, real quick. You're telling me that you broke this guitar. Now you're just sitting candidly with your brother-in-law. Did you say brother-in-law? Yeah, we were having lunch. You mentioned this, and he goes, don't you have insurance on those guitars? Yeah. And you're like, yeah, but I broke it. Yeah, exactly right. I'm sitting, I didn't even cross my mind that insurance would pay for this. Because I'm like, I broke this. I did this. And, And he says, he goes, well, that's really what insurance is. People, you know break things all the time. You People run their car into a garage. You know, that's what you have insurance for. And I'm like, well, I, I, yeah, I guess so. But I, it just, yeah, I never, right. cro- <laughs> it never, it never crossed my mind on this. And he goes, I'll have to look into it. He said, because, you know, frankly, he's never had anybody claim anything of that much value on a scheduled item before. He's only done yeah. like little smaller cell phones and that, but he's, he's like, I think, I think you're covered on that. And I said, well, and I didn't get my hopes up. I was like, Yo, sure. just let me know. And so he checked in on it and he's like, yeah. And at first, you know, he talked to one guy and they were like, is it worth really doing? And because they might kick my insurance up a little bit, but he's like, you oh, haven't sure. made a, You haven't made a claim on this for 12 years. This is your first claim. You know, if you were making multiple claims, yeah, but he thought it was worth doing it. You know, it was more expensive yeah. enough to do it. And so, uh, because that's what I did. Well, I actually had it insured a few years ago. I remember I paid twelve hundred for it. I kicked my insurance mm-hmm. up to fourteen hundred. I didn't realize though. I knew that value of guitars have kind of gone kind of crazy in the last couple of years. Yeah. But I never adjusted the insurance, and so now that guitar in the used market was worth like eighteen hundred. And uh, Gibson is now making a reissue of those classics. And they sell mm-hmm. for twenty three hundred new. Oh sure. And so yeah. my insurance man put in the claim, saying that this stuff is. They never asked for pictures and anything. She called me up and mm-hmm. she asked me, and I'm like the whole time I'm thinking, well, I mean I was totally honest with her because I was like I'm not trying to pull anything over on anybody here. I broke this guitar. Yeah. I did this. You know it was it was stupid tax on my part. And she's like. Yeah, it's it's kind of she's and she's apologizing to me that she couldn't pay me more because she's she is now. <laughs> yeah, I know. She's now 
She's like, this is worth way more than what. Well, you that's what she was before. doing. She's so, like, so oh, sorry. she was. She's like, she's looking on the computer and saying, it says the guitar is worth twenty three hundred dollars. Well, that's replacement cost of a new one. Right. And she's like, but I can only pay you fourteen. And I said, I totally understand. So yeah. she pays me the fourteen hundred bucks, and I still get to keep the guitar. Yes, win. <laughs> I know, isn't that crazy? Except it's it's unplayable. It's, so. Except it's unplayable, <laughs> but it's worth something in parts. At which point, you and it I is. talked and decided we it was did. Like, and one of the things that I said to you was, I said, I think you can get a grand for it. And you're like, there is no way anybody yeah. would give me a thousand dollars for a guitar that's unplayable. I said, if you were to strip all the parts off of it. I think you still get 600 bucks for the husk. Yeah, no, that I understand. And then do the rest. But I was like, I think if you like the case, keep the case and just sell the guitar. If you're like, I don't care, case can go with it. I, I think yeah. you can get a grand. So yeah. Yeah, what did which... you end up putting it up for? Well, let me back up a moment. Okay. You know, because you and I had talked about, is it worth repairing at this point? I have the 1400 bucks. I talked to Gibson uh, Repair Shop. They were going to charge mm-hmm. me $2,000 to put a new neck on it. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do okay. that. I, I talked yeah. to a, a, a competent luthier down in St. Louis mm-hmm. about retapping the nut on it. Okay. If they were able to do that, it would be about a $500 repair. Yep. So I drove down to St. Louis to meet with that guy. And uh, he takes it out of the case puts it on the uh, on his bench there and opens up and he've got sees a little piece there that's broken off and he's like, Oh yeah, it's right at the surface. Well, let, let's see it. So he takes it off the bench now and he puts the the body of the guitar down on the floor in front of him. So he's looking down the neck now. And all he says is, Oh my <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, not good news, Doc. He said, take a look at this. And he turned the guitar so I could see it. And not only what I already knew is that the guitar, actually, you would think that with no tension with the strings, with no tension mm-hmm. with, with the uh, truss rod broken, you would expect mm-hmm. that the neck would look flat. Flat it's if still, not bowed backwards. If, yes, exactly right. It's still bowed up a little oh bit. Oh, gosh. Which is when, when they told me this neck was never built right. So what all those years when it was so hard for me to turn that, mm-hmm. w- I was literally having to push the wood back to get the neck straight, which I was able to yeah. do. And that guitar played fine. But yeah, so the truss, that's why it was so for hard for me to turn the truss rod because yeah. it was actually pushing the wood back. So he's like, yeah, he's like, I wouldn't waste my time on this guitar doing that. So I put it up for sale, as you were saying, and I, I just listed mm-hmm. it for $1,000. I was like, okay. Probably should have done more, but but I'm like, you know, I'm still thinking, who's going to pay $1,000? Right. I'm still thinking that. I thought as parts, that's what I figured I would have to do. And I threw the case in with it too. And uh, I put the guitar on Facebook down in St. Louis, much better area down there okay, for $1,000, sure. thinking that, oh, we'll just see what happens. That afternoon, I get a guy contact me. And he wants to meet that afternoon. Yeah. And so, wow. I was thinking, you know, like I said, I put it up for a thousand and I I was like, okay, you know, I, what am I really willing to sell it for? Because I've already, I've already, I paid 1200 for it. I played it, paid it for 10 years. 
I got fourteen hundred for it, broken. I've already got that yeah. cash. I wasn't feeling all that greedy. I was like, you know, mm-hmm. and so the guy that showed up was the perfect guy. This guy, he kind of looked like a modern day hippie a little bit, he, a musician. Mm-hmm. He's actually a luthier. Oh, nice. Exactly right. And he was like, yeah, you know, um, I'd, I'd like to uh, I'd like to try to fix it. Uh, he looked at it and he's like, good... yeah, I know. Oh, exactly. and, I, and I was actually very happy to sell that guitar to him. I was like, perfect. this is the guy that I wanted. He's like, yeah. So he looked at it because it's, it's a beautiful guitar. Like I said, brand new. They're over two grand. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that it went to a, a good home. I did That's actually. Awesome. He saved a guitar. Yeah, it, yeah. It would have been firewood. He did look at the the neck and go, you know, I was expecting the neck to be bowing the other direction. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, but, you know, um, like they told me, uh, the, the, the luthier in St. Louis, he told me we could pull the fretboard off and then mm-hmm. sand the neck down so it's flat. And then while you're at it, put a new truss rod in there and you'll be fine. Right. I'm guessing that's what this guy's going to end up doing, and then Probably. it'll be it'll be a fantastic guitar for him. So yeah, well, or he'll resell it and you know say that he did some neck work on it and you know still make quite a bit off of it for a fun little project or something that he uses as a test instrument in the in the shop or whatever. Yeah, but that's that's amazing. Yeah, I was you know I'm a little sad that it went. I just recently. Uh, used the money from that and uh, bought its replacement. I picked up a, uh, it's a late uh, uh, 2019, but it was uh, made in December, I think you said, looking at the date of it. Yeah, so it was a a late December 2019, and I said, that is excellent, because that's kind of when the new ownership of Gibson started taking over and they started making some of those quality control changes and the way the neck feels and, and, and everything. I th- I think you probably have a stellar early version of this new management quality control. Yeah, it's, it's really nice. Uh, it's, you know, they say it's the sixties neck, but compared to my 76 standard, they're not exactly mm-hmm. the same neck shape. No. Yeah. Which one's thinner? The 76. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, I like it though. It's nice. Oh yeah. So this is a happy ending for you. Yeah, I uh, the uh, the new guitar is. I feel like it's almost too fancy for me, but it's because it's <laughs> it's new. I, I never. I, I don't think I've ever had a guitar that new. You know, oh, it's sure. still you know two years old, and yeah. that's that's new for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, to probably bring this stuff to a close, I do want to mention that homeowner's insurance would not have covered that. No. Now, had it been like stolen, fire damage, you know, something completely unintentional that you hadn't done, it would have covered it, actually. But you would have had your deductible of your house on it. Yes. So they, I don't know what your deductible is. I think mine is almost $3,000 for a deductible. Yeah. That would have covered zero of that guitar. Yeah. So I think it's important that we actually insure these instruments if we really do value them that much. And if you go through, there is actually some third party groups you can go through like Anderson's and 
uh, Heritage. These are actual like instrument insurance companies that do this. And you're looking at about 70 bucks per $10,000 that you insure. And that seems a little high to me. But then again, I don't necessarily know. You know, I did contact my state farm insurance person and we were pretty much looking at somewhere around like $50 or $45 per 10,000. And I was like, well, that makes more sense. That's better. But Mm. I don't know if they cover accidental damage like yours. So I have to figure that out. But all that to say, I think that you should insure your stuff if you can. For sure. Yeah. I'm glad I had it. You know, I said, I've been paying for this for 12 years and uh, I said, I forgot about it. You know, didn't even think about it. Yeah. Because you and I are both the same mindset. It's like, well, I did this. My insurance isn't going to cover this on my homeowners for this kind of thing. Right. It's like, yeah. and, And the best part is no deductible. It makes you go, I wish I could have insurance on other things. Can I like get on insurance on like my shoes? So if I scuff them, like they just buy me new shoes. Can I get insurance on my kids if I damage them mentally? <laughs> that they <laughs> get a new brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. But um, oh, okay. So you know what? It's probably time. We're starting to spiral. Let's do final thoughts. What What are your final thoughts for today's group therapy session? Uh, I've told you for years, you need to insure your instruments hanging on your wall. Yeah. That uh, if something happened, you know, you uh, you had that a few years ago where the uh, electricity went out across Texas. Oh, well, yeah. I was concerned mm-hmm. about all your instruments. And yeah, so yeah. it doesn't cost that much, you know. Granted, I only used this insurance once over the last 12 years, but, you know, there you go. It came in. I definitely haven't paid that much in 12 years. It doesn't, right. it doesn't cost that much. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And I'm with you. I think that insuring is good. I also think it is important to learn how to be your own luthier, but also know where your abilities stop. I've learned a lot over time. I've done it with the cheaper guitars I have. Probably worth it to have a cheap guitar to like mess with things with. But at the hmm. same time, I also know that a quality, or as we said before, a competent luthier is worth their weight in guitar gold. In gold tops. Mm. That's probably the better way to put it. Mm-hmm. Well put. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Lloyd, thank you so much for being a part of group therapy today. Dr. T, I uh, always enjoy this time. Thanks. Yeah, I love it. All right. Until next time. All right. Bye. Well, that concludes our time of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, leave five stars in a review. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Tweed Couch. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time.